Turn to the book of Titus. Titus, first and second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Find the book of Titus. We're going to go to chapter three. Uh, we kind of have we have an interesting service planned today, so uh, a little bit of fun here, and uh, we'll get some some uh, congregation uh, involvement in a few minutes. But Titus chapter three, could you please stand in reverence for the reading? Of the words of our God. Titus chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 3. And go through verse 7. Titus 3. 3 through 7. For we ourselves were once foolish. Disobedient. Led astray. Slaves to various passions and pleasures. Passing our days in malice and envy. Hated by others. And hating one another. But. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are reminded of who we once were and who uh, you have made us to be. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Uh, For our salvation is all of grace. Um, We did nothing to earn it. We um, cannot be good enough to make it. And so uh, we desperately needed rescue. And we thank you for sending the rescuer And we thank you for now sending the Comforter to be with us. And this morning, Holy Spirit, I would ask that that you blow strongly in this room this morning. uh, That you would do uh, all of your will and that we would submit to it. Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to hear from your word. I pray you'd guide uh, my words, that you would open ears, and that you would have your way with us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. A Presbyterian and a Baptist minister were discussing baptism. After a beautiful dissertation on the subject by the Baptist minister, the Presbyterian minister asked if the Baptist considered a person baptized if he was immersed in water up to his chin. No, said the Baptist. Is he considered baptized if he is immersed up to his nose? Asked the Presbyterian. Again, the Baptist's answer was no. Well, if you immerse him up to his eyebrows, do you consider him baptized? Queried the Presbyterian. You don't seem to understand, said the Baptist. He must be immersed completely in water until his head is covered. That's what I've been trying to tell you all along, said the Presbyterian. It's only a little water on top of the head that counts. (laughs) That that funny story... uh, is a gentle way of introducing the divisions that we have. Often baptism is called the water that divides. Um, And we're going to talk about baptism this morning. Um, In relation to our series on the seven churches of Revelation, which we we finished the seventh church, Laodicea, last week, um, on the end we want to tack on a message on baptism today. And Pastor Ron's going to preach on the Lord's Supper or communion next week. And then we'll have a reading service that will um, kind of finish off the series called The Seven. Uh, But as I was studying for this 
uh, sermon, there, there's far too much to cover. So I had to cut and hear and cut and, and reintroduce something that I already cut and bring it back in. But it, it came to me in a vision on YouTube that baptism is like Mary Poppins' bag. Remember Mary Poppins' carpet bag? Now, I, I had it in my head from childhood, but I needed to go to YouTube to check the scene just to make sure what I was remembering was, was right. But baptism is like Mary Poppins' carpet bag. It's simple on the outside. It's just, it's just a carpet bag. But open it up and you get a hat stand, a wall mirror, a potted plant, floor lamp, shoes, jacket, and a tape measure all inside. Baptism is the same way. It, it, it seems like, yeah, baptism. That's a simple thing in the scriptures. But when you open up that bag, <laughs> there are all kinds of things inside. It didn't look like they could even fit inside of that bag. So we're gonna, we're gonna peek in the bag. No, we're not. We're gonna wide, we're gonna open that bag wide open this morning and talk about baptism. So I hope you're, uh, ready for this. What I want to do first, you need to put your Bible down because you need to be ready to stand up. We're gonna do a little exercise, literally. A little poll. I want, I want us, Village Bible Church, to see us in our context and background and history. So, I'm gonna ask some people to stand up. I'm not gonna ask you by name, but this is for, um, all of our edification. If you were baptized in an inf- as an infant in the Roman Catholic Church, could you please stand? Look around. This is for all of us. Okay. Please be seated. If you were baptized as an infant in the Episcopal Church, please stand. Okay? You're not alone. Go ahead, guys. Thank you. If you were baptized as an infant in the Lutheran Church, please stand. Strike one. Okay. If you, Tom, Tom was all right. If you were baptized as an infant in the Methodist church, please stand. And Glenn was as well. Okay, all right. If you were baptized in a pre, as an infant in a Presbyterian or Reformed church, please stand. All right. If you were baptized as an infant in another church I have not named, please stand. All right, I knew it. Now, if you were baptized by immersion... As a child before the age of 12, but after your infancy, please stand. Okay. If you were baptized by immersion as a child, not as an infant, but before the age of 12, please stand. I was repeating the question because people had asked. Everybody sit down. We didn't ask any question about immersion yet. Just rewind. Okay, let's see if we can do this. This is the first question I've asked about immersion after asking about infant baptism. If you were baptized by immersion as a child after your infancy, but before you were 12, please stand. Okay. If you were baptized as a, as a teenager, if you were baptized, baptized by immersion as a teenager, please stand. 13 to 19. You can stand up multiple times. That's part of the sermon. <laughs> All right, please be seated. If you were baptized as an adult by immersion, 20 years of age or older, please stand. All right. Thank you very much. I, I believe that was one, two, three, four, five. Depending on how many times I asked that one question, six, seven. I believe that was eight categories. How many of you stood up multiple times? Raise your hand. Look at that. Look around. Look at that. So we've got a, a, a variety of experiences here. Um, this, is, this is good for us to recognize that. It's good to recognize our histories, um, our contexts. Are where we were raised, what region of the country sometimes, um, sometimes uh, what family tradition we were raised in. Um, but baptism is an important doctrine. 
And it's not the most important. But neither does that mean it is not important. And I think that is a problem in our society. If it's not most important, it becomes unimportant. And that's something that I would like to address this morning. My main concern is that I see so many people, especially young people, unbaptized, but declaring themselves to be believers in Jesus. That's not the part that troubles me most. The part that troubles me most is how many young people and old people um, have not been baptized and have not thought about being baptized in a long time, that it hasn't crossed the mind. Um, This is a dangerous thing, I think. Somehow we've made baptism optional. Like it's a nice add-on to the Christian life that doesn't really need to happen unless you're really feeling holy or unless you're really feeling guilty or unless you're really feeling, feeling pressured. My goal this morning up front is not to pressure you. The Holy Spirit's going to do that. My goal is not to make you feel guilty. Um, my goal is to present what Village Bible Church believes the Bible teaches on baptism. We also, just for uh, two confessions up front, there's a baptistry behind me that's full of water this morning. Um, we would love to, to see some people be baptized. And we're going to go through this sermon and give people the information they need to make that decision. All right, so it's going to be an exciting morning. We don't hold that baptism is necessary for salvation. Some denominations teach something related to that or that exactly. Some denominations teach that um, baptism, the act of baptism, washes away original sin. Um, that, that we are born into sin as babies, which we have a lot, we have a plethora of babies represented in this congregation, and I pretty sure we'd get a unanimous vote that your baby is a sinner. <laughs> it did not take long <laughs> to figure that out. Um, I, I did not teach my daughter to lie or steal or hit or push, and yet she is proficient at all of those things. She does not need baptism to get rid of that because baptism can't and won't. Baptism, again, is not necessary for salvation, but I also don't think that it's optional for the Christian life. God cares about baptism, and we care about baptism, and that's why our Constitution outlines our belief on baptism. You can follow me on the screen behind. I'm just going to read what our, what our Constitution says we believe about baptism. First, the scriptural basis for the observance of baptism. Where does this come from? Well, the baptism of the believer after conversion is taught in Scripture both by commandment and example. Three of, of the passages there, there's more. Therefore, water baptism administered after one has received the Savior shall be encouraged of each member of this church. Baptism is not a prerequisite for church membership, nor is it essential for salvation. Next, what's the significance? Baptism is an outward sign to the world that a believer is a follower of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a symbol of Christ's death and bodily resurrection from the dead. The believer has died to self and is now a new person living for Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. Last, the mode. The preferred mode of baptism at Village Bible Church is immersion following confession of Christ as Savior. That is what our church believes. That is what is in our foundational documents. And that is what we believe and will teach on this morning. 
And the reason that I've called the sermon this morning Forgotten Obedience is because I think that's exactly what baptism has become. A thing that we ought to obey and something yet that's been forgotten, that's been kind of cast aside. We remember it every once in a while when Easter rolls around and we have a baptism service. But through the rest of the year, baptism's gone. Um, We talk about um, regeneration and justification and sanctification. We talk about how to live the Christian life. And according to the New Testament, if we're not baptized, we're missing out on a key, the first key ingredient, I believe. So let's do a little Bible study on baptism in the Bible. Grab your Bibles. We're going all over the place this morning. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. In your Bible or on your app, we're in Matthew chapter 3. Read a few verses. We're introduced to baptism in the Bible by a guy named John the Baptizer. John the Baptist. He was not a Baptist. He was a prophet of the Old Covenant. A transitional figure. Cousin of Jesus. And I want us to just take a peek here. There's more on John the Baptist. But this is some of the key uh, ingredients we need to see. So Matthew chapter 3, look at verse 5. Matthew 3, verse 5. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, John, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Skip down to verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom... I am well pleased. Here we see a theme that goes throughout the New Testament is that baptism is related to, associated with repentance and forgiveness. So you see, the people were going out to John. They were leaving home. They were going probably for a day trip um, to uh, the, the Jordan River, which is well below sea level. And if they were coming from Jerusalem, they're coming from 25, 2600 feet above sea level. So a descent into the desert, into the wilderness, to go out to this weird guy named John who wears funky clothes, eats insects and honey, and lives out in the desert. It'll take a lot for us to do that. Can you imagine if someone was in the Mojave, starting to preach the gospel, and all of Orange County and L.A. County were going out to him? Just imagine what what that would be like. Now, it would be hard to find water in the Mojave, but... The point is that the people had to get up and leave. They had to go out to the wilderness to go hear this man who was preaching repentance and forgiveness of sins. We got a problem here, though. Jesus comes to be baptized. John recognizes that this is not proper. And he says, what what are you doing? You should baptize me. And Jesus says something that that is a, a little bit mysterious. But he says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting... For us to fulfill all righteousness. You know, I would have loved if Jesus had, had said, the reason I'm getting baptized is because all my followers need to be baptized and this is the right thing to do to obey God. <laughs> That'd be really nice if he had said that. This is a little more mysterious. 
What's going on? Well, scholars think, and I think this is, this is right, that Jesus is, is not needing to repent. He doesn't need to ask for forgiveness. And yet he's there. So what's he doing? Well, I think he's identifying with the human race. He's identifying with the people he's come to teach and to save. He's identifying that he is human as they are human. It is not to say that he's a sinner as they are sinners, but that he is human as they are. I think he's also coming to be an example to those following him to show that in order to fulfill all righteousness and to fulfill all rightness or justice, in order to show, to fulfill that he's a follower of God, he is doing this. For Jesus, it is an initiation into ministry because immediately after this, look in your Bibles, chapter 4, he is led out into the wilderness where he already was, out into the wilderness to be tempted. So Jesus' baptism is something of an initiation. However, Jesus' baptism is from John. And John's baptism is a precursor to Christian baptism. Why? Because Jesus hadn't lived, ministered, died, buried, rose yet. Um, the gospel is still, is still future. And so what John is doing is he's preparing the way for the Lord. And you'll see in the book of John, John says, John the Baptist says, I must decrease and he must increase. And so John sees that once Jesus comes on the scene, um, the sun has risen and like the stars go away in the daytime, he's going to dim and fade away. And so we see this uh, represented really well in the book of Acts. So go to Acts chapter 19. We see a little bit of the difference between John's baptism and Christian baptism. John was baptizing Jews, which was not common. Um, the Jews had lots of water rituals. In fact, um, on our Israel trip, we were able to, to see some um, mikvah, mikvahot. A mikvah is a, is a cleansing pool um, where the, the Jewish person, person to uh, illustrate uh, cleansing would walk down into the water on one side, completely immerse themselves, and walk out the other side on different steps than when they came in. So that was, that was common in Jewish culture. However, it was self-done. There was no one baptizing. Um, it was a personal going into the water and immersing yourself to picture cleansing. There are many, 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 many of these that they've dug up right on the southern steps of the Temple Mount. Clearly, as people went up to the temple, they wanted to be clean in their worship. And so they would walk into the mikvah, dip under the water, come out, oftentimes put new clothes on, and enter into the temple complex, the presence of God with the people of God. So this, this was common. Another thing that, that may have been common, we're not quite sure, but it seemed that Gentiles who desired to become Jews, who wanted to follow the God of Judaism, would be baptized um, in order to symbolize following the Jewish way of life, that they would go from being a Gentile to a Jew. And it seems historically that this was also uh, a self-baptism, that you would do it yourself. There would be no one administering it um, to you. So this was common. And so when John begins to um, do his baptism, it's different because he's administering it. Um, it's different because it's a once-for-all baptism. In the mikvah, you would go in every time you needed to be cleansed. But John's baptism still is not Christian baptism. So in Acts 19, we see dozens of years later, Paul is going through to the country of Ephesus, which we have become familiar with, the maps the last two months for this series. In Ephesus, he found some disciples. Verse 2, and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. 
And he said, into what then were you baptized? Notice that. He just assumes they were baptized. He does not ask if they were. He says, what then were you baptized into? They said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come when? After him. That is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. So John's baptism, according to Paul here, is not enough. It's part of an old order. The new order has come. Jesus has ushered in a new covenant. And so these guys who've been baptized, with an understanding that it's John's baptism, are rebaptized this time by Paul with Christian baptism. So we begin to see the shape of baptism in the scriptures. So now we want to take, at, take a look at three questions. What does baptism mean? Who is baptism for? And how should baptism be done? Again, this won't answer all questions, but I think this is the core of what we need to cover. What does baptism mean? Who is baptism for? And how should baptism be done? Let's go to the book of Romans. Turn over a few pages to Romans chapter 6. And again, uh, this is not uh, a unanimous <laughs> uh, thing in, in, the, in the churches across even this city at this moment. There are all kinds of churches that would disagree on these things. And so we want to just get it out there. This is what Village Bible Church believes about baptism. Romans 6. Look at verse 1. We'll go through 4. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? This is taking the argument of chapter 5 and continue it into 6. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Maybe the most uh, contentious verse illustrating baptism, the one that causes um, some of the most debates. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Again, we're answering the question, what does baptism mean? Colossians 2, 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So in both of these scriptures, we see an illustration of baptism, meaning burial and resurrection. So it's an identification with Christ. Now some have said, and a lot in our, in our kind of stream of evangelicalism, have said that these two passages talk about spirit baptism. And again, there's a, there's a, can be a confusion as you go through scriptures. Because in a few places... Um, when someone becomes a Christian, they are described as being baptized in the Holy Spirit. John says, I baptize with water, but he who comes after me will baptize with fire in the Holy Spirit. So we have to discern what's going on here, but I don't think that you can separate the act of baptism in the early church with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Here's why. There were no Christians when Jesus went back up into heaven. Okay, like 12 or 120, however you want to say it. There was a small, tiny, there was a tiny core of the church. Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem till when? Till the Holy Spirit comes down on you. So we see that at Pentecost. 
Now, Peter, as soon as they start speaking in tongues and the people ask what's going on, Peter preaches a powerful sermon. And in that sermon, he's preaching to a bunch of Jews who are not Christians. <laughs> Because Jesus was just here. He just died. He just rose again. And so when we go through the book of Acts, which we'll do in a minute, everyone that we see being baptized didn't grow up in a Christian family. They didn't grow up in the church. There wasn't a church. And so everyone that we see in the book of Acts that is baptized is a, is a new Christian, as opposed to someone who, some of you are probably fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh generation Christians. You can trace faithfulness back in your family line. So I think in the New Testament, the practice was, I repent, I believe, where's water? Boom. And so almost, almost, almost instantaneously we had baptism of the Spirit and baptism uh, in water. Um, and so I, I think that we have a new problem, well not a new problem, we have a new situation in that ever since that generation we now have children growing up in families that are believers. Whereas almost, if not every situation in the New Testament are new believers who never grew up in a Christian family. So the question we have that is not really addressed in the New Testament is, what do we do with Christian kids? What do we do with our, our kids that grow up in our home and that we, we preach the gospel to and, and go to Awana and they go to Sunday school and they go to church and they hear all these things? How do we respond to that? And we're going to get to that. But in these passages, we see that baptism illustrates Christ's burial and resurrection. It's a very real thing. I've said this before. It's, it's, it's a symbol, but it's a very good symbol because if I go to baptize someone in the water up there and I don't bring them back up, death is not a symbol anymore. So it's, it's a good, it's a good symbol because, um, people die by drowning and if you go under the water, death is very well pictured. And then bringing up, right? Coming up out of the water, that breath that uh, illustrates new life. And so Christ's death, burial, and resurrection are illustrated by baptism. Uh, go to uh, Ephesians 4.5. Ephesians 4.5. I want to point this out as we continue to move through this. The book of Ephesians. Actually, go to 4.4. 4. Chapter 4, verse 4 in Ephesians. Paul says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. I'm emphasizing a word. See if you notice it. It might be there several times. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul says there's one baptism. <laughs> if you went to different churches on the, today, on Sunday, there's not one baptism. We have different baptisms. We have different ages. We have different modes. We have different beliefs. We have different understandings. This is one of the things that the Christian church in the church age has to figure out and deal with. There's one baptism, the scripture says. One. And yet we practice many. Which is the, the right way? And I think that some in the church today want to avoid controversy and say, well, let's just baptize people however they want to be baptized. Well, that, that's a problem. Because first of all, it's catering to people's desires and maybe not their understanding of scripture. And second, if the scripture says there's one baptism, we ought to dig and search and read and study and converse about what that one baptism is. Baptism also illustrates cleansing and new life. Um, it's an initiation um, into a new life, into a new community. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. A passage that talks about the spiritual gifts and the body. 1 Corinthians 12, 
verse 12. Again, we're looking at what does baptism mean? Paul again says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So again, we have the word baptism and we have the spirit introduced. And I think we have both concepts. Both that you were baptized, plunged under, immersed in the spirit when you became a Christian. And that was symbolized usually fairly quickly by water baptism. And what were you baptized into? One body. Who? Jews or Greeks? Slaves or free? So it's an initiation. It's baptism is identifying Christians with the body of Christ. So we're, we're, we're initiated, we're baptized into one body where we're all together, we've all experienced this thing. So the New Testament knows nothing of an unbaptized Christian. I, I think if you would have asked a first century a Christian, that, that wouldn't have made any sense. You're a Christian, you haven't been baptized? Again, because, because of the, the historical situation and the newness of Christianity. So baptism illustrates Christ's burial and resurrection. It illustrates cleansing and new life, and it identifies the Christian with the body of Christ. Next, who is baptism for? Who is baptism for? I, you know, I read a book called um, Four Views on Baptism, which is a, a great book because it has a Baptist and a Presbyterian and uh, a Lutheran and a Churches of Christ, Disciples of Christ um, representative. And one guy will write a chapter on what he believes about baptism, and the other three guys will respond. Then the next guy writes what he believes about baptism, and the other three guys respond. And you actually get it from their own mouths, rather than some, someone who doesn't believe that, trying to say what someone else believes. So, fantastic book. If you'd like to borrow it, it really opened my eyes to some of these things. But what it, one thing that really pointed me to is especially um, the Presbyterian background and the Lutheran background seemed to, to go to logic and tradition— rather than the scriptures. And I think we're not Baptists, but our Baptistic understanding, um, I think, is more uh, based in, in the scriptures. We don't turn to, to tradition, or we shouldn't. And so let's look at the book of Acts. Because Acts shows us who baptism is for. Acts chapter 2. We're going to do a, a brief survey. Sorry, Edgar. <laughs> Just do a little preview for you for Sunday school. By the way, you should consider going to Edgar's Sunday school. He's teaching through the book of Acts. How long is it going to take you, Edgar? Four years? <laughs> Probably. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. This is after Peter's Pentecost sermon. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So what do we see? Cut to the heart. They're convicted. They hear a message and they're responding to it and they want to know what they're supposed to do. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word... Notice the order. Received his word, were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Added to what? To the new church. Added to the church. So the baptism initiated them. It, it, it got them into the church. It added them to this, this membership. 
So we see that those who respond are adult, are adults who respond to a message, repent and believe and are baptized. Go to chapter 8. Acts 8. Verse 36. And as they were going along the road, this is the eunuch and Philip, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So baptism follows a message by Philip explaining the gospel to this eunuch. He starts in Isaiah 53. The eunuch says, I don't know what I'm reading. Who's this about? And Philip goes, good question. Let's talk about that. Takes him through the gospel The eunuch believes, hey, there's water. So the baptism, again, here is of an adult who hears the message, repents, believes, and is baptized. Chapter 10. This is is phenomenal news for us because most of us are Gentiles. Peter has gone to Cornelius' house. He's a a, um, Roman soldier. Verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, You can see he's preaching the good news. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised, the Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They hear the message. And in this, and in this, in this place, because it's the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit falls on them. They're speaking in tongues. It's evident what has happened. And Peter says, let's baptize them too. It's evident they have believed. Adults believing, repenting, being baptized. Chapter 16. Paul, on his second missionary journey, is in a city called Philippi. He's He's crossed over into Europe. And we see in verse 14 what Luke has to say. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart. I love that that phrase. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her household as well, she begins to ask them to stay with them. But the message is delivered to the people. Lydia responds, believes, is baptized. Go to the end of that chapter. Paul and Silas are thrown in jail. There's an earthquake. Their jailer is about to kill himself. He's heard them singing hymns all night. And he asks the right question. Verse 30. Sirs, What must I do to be saved? Great question. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night. (laughs) Uh, I don't know where they found water, but they didn't have to fill up a baptistry. They found a river or a lake. The same time that night, they went out And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Now, this is where we get into the question of who's all his family? We don't know. We don't know. And so we should not assume what is not not told us. We're not meant to assume here that there were children and babies who were indiscriminately plunged beneath the water. 
it says that he and all his household. And so might that mean children? It might, but we're not told. We can continue on in verse, in chapter 18, verse 8. Paul is now in Corinth, a major city in Greece. And he's preaching in the synagogue. Verse 8, Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. The pattern here is hearing the message, repenting, believing, being baptized. Now, there are some places where a little bit different vocabulary is used. But if you take all of them as a whole, you see a pattern of what is going on. That the the gospel is preached, the gospel is believed, the person is baptized. In that order. I, I would be... Uh, derelict in my duties if I did not talk about what this gospel is. Because some of us have been inoculated to it. We've been given just enough growing up in the church to not actually know what the gospel is. And the gospel is this, that a holy God created of his own uh, free will and intention a universe. He created this earth and on this earth he put people, man and woman, for his own glory. And our first parents, Adam and Eve, lived in communion with God. They walked with him. And yet Adam and Eve, they sinned and they fell. God cursed them. And there was a fracturing of their relationship with God, with creation, with each other. And from that moment on, man and woman and all their offspring were born sinners, separated from God. That is our state. We are, we are born into sin. We are separated from God. This is a problem. A big, big, big problem. And God did not stand around idle and do nothing about it. Throughout the Old Testament, he gives glimpses and foretastes and grace and messages to show his people that he loves them and that he desires their obedience and their salvation. And in the New Testament, we see that he went to the extreme by sending his only son to become a little baby who grew up into a little boy, who grew up into a young man, who at the age of 30 was baptized, lived the life that you and I couldn't live, and then he died a death that you and I should have died. And so in our place for our sin, Jesus went to the cross, not for anything that he had done, but for everything that we had done. And on that cross, God the Father poured out his righteous wrath on Jesus that was meant for me. Jesus stood in the way of that, absorbed, took God's wrath as only he could as the God-man. Three days later, he wasn't dead. (laughs) He rose from the dead. He conquered Satan, sin, and death. And he promises to all those who believe in his death, resurrection for them that they will have through faith life in his name. And so salvation is all of grace. And because we're saved, we have heaven to look forward to. We have the, the repairing of what, was like, what it was like in the beginning. That we will have full communion with God. Go ahead and read Revelation 21 and 22. We will see his face. That is the promise. The, 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 the promise is eternal life for those who put their faith in something they couldn't do for themselves. Trusting Jesus Christ to save them. Folks, that's the gospel. That's our good news. 
That's what we have to tell the world. We don't tell the world, be better people. They can't. We must preach the gospel. And so, if you hear that, you, you need to respond. It is not enough to say you've heard it, but a response is required. The people that heard Peter said, what do we do? And the, the response is, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what he has done for you. It's my contention that infants can't do this. I don't know how we discern it in very young children. And so the question is, do we baptize young children? Well, one quote from the book that I read was helpful. Baptism should not be rushed into precipitously, but neither should it be postponed for no good reason. So we balance those two things. We need to hear from a person who wants to get baptized that they understand the gospel, they understand their problem, they understand the solution, that they, they know that they put their faith in Jesus Christ and they're going to walk in his ways. That's what we want to hear before baptism is administrated. Last question, how should baptism be done? Well, some Quakers in the Salvation Army just don't do it at all. Um, it's complicated, but they, they, they don't, do, don't believe in baptism at all as some other um, denominations and sects also believe. In evangelical churches, there's a plethora of beliefs and practices. Sprinkling and pouring and immersion are the three major ways of baptism. However, sprinkling and pouring weren't even officially church doctrine until 1311 A.D., it took a while. It was practice, but it was not official church doctrine until then. And the word in the Greek, baptizo, means to dip. It means to put a cloth in a dye so that it fully absorbs that color and is no longer the original color. It's also translated plunging under, submerging, dipping, sinking. If a boat sunk, they could use the word baptizo to say the boat sunk. How do you know? It went underwater. The only mode of baptism presented in the scriptures is by immersion. Matthew 3.16, Jesus went up from the water. Acts 8.38-39, when they came up out of the water. John 3.23, John was baptizing at a certain location because there was, water was plentiful there. And, and so the mode, that's the only mode that is shown to us in the scriptures is immersion. It pictures beautifully the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Last thing, go to Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. We've been talking about discipleship specifically for the last year and a half. Uh, our theme the last two years has been reproduce. And we have studied this passage, but I want you to look carefully at it because you know it. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is commonly called the, the Great Commission. Verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's an important statement, isn't it? That's a reassuring statement. Because all authority has been given to me, Jesus says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's my concern. How can we accomplish the Great Commission without having obeyed it ourselves? How do we accomplish this great commission, which is making disciples? How? Going, baptizing, teaching. I think there's a deliberate order there. John 14, 15, Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I think that this is a commandment. Jesus' commandment to the church is, Church, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to follow in obedience in baptism. 
So I would urge you this morning, right now, consider that. Have you been baptized? Have you followed the Lord in obedience? Again, it's not necessary for your salvation. We don't put anything magical in the water. It's just water. But it's water to symbolize a very important thing. It also um, should be overcome. I know that's fearful. I did not want to be baptized. My younger brother was baptized before me because I was so scared. And I was ashamed because of my little brother. And yet, overcoming fear is part of the Christian life. God has not given us a spirit of fear. I think, not because of my eloquence or anything, that the Spirit has been working this morning. In fact, I think He's been working on this before this morning. But maybe He's been working in your heart this morning. Maybe you've been impressed, it's been impressed upon you that you need to follow Jesus in baptism. When should you get baptized? Great question. Thank you for asking. We've got a baptistry behind us. Why not today? Why not now? The elders and the deaconesses are going to move to the prayer room and beyond. If if you're interested, we're going to vet this, okay? If you're interested, though, you need to talk to, to one of our elders. They're going to make sure that you understand what you're doing, what you're getting yourself into. This is going to take courage because there's a whole church watching and expecting this to happen. The worship team also is going to come up right now. They're going to lead us in some songs as we prepare for whatever baptisms the Lord has for us. So I would encourage you, don't let fear or embarrassment get in the way. Here's an incredibly tangible way to respond to the sermon. How often do we go home from a sermon and go, that was a great sermon. And Monday it's like, what did he preach on? You won't forget this one. (laughs) Follow the Lord in obedience. Respond to the preaching of God's word. Follow him Obey his commandments. Think hard about this. That's the door you need to go through if you'd like to be baptized this morning. I know it's crazy. By the way, it was Pastor Ron's idea, not mine. (laughs) However, I seconded the motion because I think it's a great idea. Joshua, why don't you lead us in song?